0: So please bear with me on the sound in some of this episode because I recorded it when I was basically in the Wild West. (laughs) I was in Chiapas, the southernmost state in Mexico, where infrastructure isn't always quite that great. So there are a, a few little patchy moments in this recording where my sound gets a little bit robotic. So please just bear with me my guest's sound, Michael's sound is great throughout, so just enjoy all of the amazing things he has to say. And in the middle of the episode, I had to re-record a little bit that was really key and I didn't want to just delete it because the sound was bad. So when there's a little change in volume there, a little change in background noise and probably my voice because every day is different, that's what's going on there. So enjoy. Let's just drop in together with three breaths, Michael, and then I will introduce you. So let's take a couple breaths here. Big inhale, big exhale, a couple more. And if you're listening to this, I invite you to do the same and just settle into being so that whatever comes up in this conversation you're about to hear lands in a different part of you. Maybe not your brain, maybe your second brain, your gut, or something that you didn't even know could give you some knowing, something that resonates for you in this conversation. A big welcome to just being with us for the next hour or so. So I'll go ahead and introduce Michael Youngblood. Michael is awesome and you're about to find out why. He's the co-founder of Unsettled, an award-winning travel community for those who embrace the unknown and value meaningful human connection. Sound familiar? This is very much aligned with this podcast. He's worked in more than 60 countries, collaborated with the White House on entrepreneurship and global development, advised Fortune 100 companies on remote work, and has taught courses on entrepreneurship and globalization on behalf of the US State Department. Probably never expected to hear that sentence. But previously, he was the managing editor of Innovations Journal, a publication about entrepreneurial solutions to global challenges. It's jointly hosted by MIT, Harvard, and George Mason. University. Michael's a member of the inaugural TED residency, a member of Sandbox, and an avid sailor, mountain biker, and global explorer. So far, so you want this guy to be your friend, right? So I pulled what I'm about to read from a blog Michael wrote that kind of explained it all and sets the scene for the conversation that I am really looking forward to seeing unfold. Unsettled was founded on a question. How might we live differently in the 21st century? The seed for Unsettled was planted on a sailing trip in the British Virgin Islands in June 2014. For one week, we invited friends from all over the world to gather, to spend a week sailing together and to explore questions about how we're living in a rapidly changing world. Keep in mind, this was written in 2014. (laughs) Little did we know it was just a few years away. We had no plans to start a global venture that would define our lives. One of the people present is a videographer who filmed the whole thing that film became the record of the answer to the questions that we asked. This is how we lived differently. This is how we organize work in the 21st century. This is what collaboration looks like. Questions spark change, growth, and ultimately creation. By definition, there's an unknown on the other end when we ponder out loud, what, who, why, when, or how. This search for an answer leads us on a journey, on a journey of infinite possibilities. Ask beautiful questions and you might receive a beautiful journey. So Unsettled is a global community for those who embrace the unknown and value meaningful human connection. Their mission is to inspire a lifelong pursuit of growth, meaning and adventure through travel and shared experiences. So thank you for those beautiful words. I loved them, which is why I read them out. But we're going to explore together some beautiful questions in this chat and hopefully help those listening to discover some alignment with those questions or to discover their own beautiful questions to help them explore and find their own way of being, living and doing in this rapidly changing world. Because when everything feels completely unanchored, all you have is you but that's all you had in the first place. So this is a beautiful time to be asking these things. And many of us know we can't do things the way they've always been done. So to those of you listening, enjoy this conversation and know that you're not alone in wondering how you should be living now and in the next decade or whatever. It's all up in the air. So here we go. Welcome, Michael.
1: Thank you, Betsy. It's good to be here with you
0: all. We're gonna dive straight in because I've suggested in my sort of briefing ahead of time that the focus of this episode would be on how living in the unknown can create the answers we all need. And I love that we could just dive right into talking about collectively, because we know, and it's very obvious from what you've written and what you've founded in, is that finding answers for ourselves is part of finding collective answers and and collaborating and being in this world together. So the first question is always the same, and that's, what's an uncomfortable moment that shaped who you are and what you do in the world?
1: Yeah, um, there, uh, like some of your guests I I listen to, there are uh, definitely a few moments uh, that were uncomfortable. Uh, There were moments today that were uncomfortable that may go on to to shape my world. Um, In fact, I, I think there was an uncomfortable moment today. But um, one that will always stick out in my mind um, was when I was about eight years old, and I had a uh, a black sister. I'm white. I grew up in a kind of white working middle class family, in um, in a kind of rural, becoming suburban town in the United States. And um, uh, my younger black sister was adopted. And I remember uh, walking across a parking lot with her, holding her hand and being called a uh, inward lover, a a nigger lover um, at about eight years old. And I I think I probably knew what that word meant. Um, I definitely knew it meant hate, you know, hate projected down upon me and my sister. And... What I actually remember about that moment is that it was sunny, and it was on a bla- black paved asphalt parking lot. And I think what must have happened is I put my head down in shame, looking at that black asphalt parking lot, because um, that's really the visual that I have. And I know it was sunny, just the heat, the reflection off of that black asphalt. I don't remember anything about, you know, the individual who yelled that, um, you know, much less who I was with, you know, while I was walking across the parking lot, presumably to, you know, my parents' car. Um, and I remember a train hit me of how unfair society can be. Um, a train hit me of, you know, prejudice existing of me just holding a sister's hand, you know, it could be something that somebody hates and just my whole world became uncomfortable in that moment. Um, you know, I felt, felt shame. I felt like I did something wrong. Um, and that has gone on to shape my life. Um, and in many ways, and I think, you know, tangibly I went on to study in the social sciences, sociology, cultural anthropology, uh, because I grew up aware of social structures of inequalities of you know, institutions of values of how these all just play out in communities and society, uh, fairly or unfairly. And, uh, so I, so I studied you know, the social sciences, um, you know, I've, I have a master's in nonprofit management because that's the pathway I saw for me to change some of the social structures in, in the world. Um, and even, you know, through Unsettled, uh, it's a very values-driven organization, a very values-driven company. Um, and, and so I think those very uncomfortable moments made me aware of my own values. You know, what's important to me, what I care for, uh, things, you know, such as, you know, equality. Um, and I think, you know, that has shown up in how I've been a leader. Um, the organization, you know, and and just fairness in general, as, as a CEO, as a founder, um, and it, it shapes everything I do, you know, to this day, you know, walking around towns, um, making sure I go out of my way to, to be that opposite voice, because a voice is strong. That man's voice echoes to me 30 years later. And I know my voice can echo on to others, um, and, and hopefully in positive ways.
0: Oh, that's such a beautiful reminder that you can alchemize the ugly into love, actually, because, you know, you almost, I almost think, well, I want to thank that man, because who would you be in the world without that dose of hate that he tried to heap on you at eight years old? And look where you are now, because you have most certainly done some interesting and impactful things so far, Michael. So I'm going to pull from Michael's writing because Michael is a great writer. And you should head to the Unsettled blog to check it out. And this is him talking about beautiful questions. There's a blog about the story of Unsettled in which you say, the nature of a question often determines the nature of the answer. Beautiful questions lead to beautiful answers, or more importantly, a beautiful search for an answer. An open question, such as how might we, usually leads to an open collaborative process to discover, or in this case, to create an answer. So my feeling is just that's so important, important in terms of both intention and language. So how would you explain what a beautiful question is, expanding on that? Talk about how beautiful questions have shaped who you are.
1: Yeah, um, I think almost, almost all questions are beautiful. They innately don't have answers. You know, we have this figure of speech um, that doesn't have an answer to it. And and I think that's beautiful because uh, innately that's going to open you up to be curious, uh, to seek answers, um, and to... to to be willing to be wrong, I believe, because it's also a a figure of speech, a a way of speaking, a way of writing that engages others, right? When you ask a question out loud, right? It's going to engage the the people around you in whatever format you may be speaking or, or writing. And you talked in your opening about the collective. And I think questions are ways to build the collective. I think it's, it's a way of, of even leadership is to ask questions and be open to listening to you know, the answers of others. It's a way of opening one's perspective, of challenging your own worldviews. Um, and so I think nearly all questions uh, are, are beautiful. Um, I think questions can make you sit and ponder, which we may need more of in the world today rather than quick and witty answers. Um, willing to sit with discomfort, sometimes the unknown, that that process, that search for an answer, and um, and and I love that about questions. In particular, I love questions that open you to possibilities. Um, you know, questions that are, um, in particular, for me. You know, beauty is subjective. Um, a beautiful question is one that opens you. Uh, to big possibilities in the world. I like really big questions, like you opened with about Unsettled. We asked, how might we live? Technology is changing how we work. How might that enable us to live differently today? And Mm -hmm. and that's a really big question that I think we're gonna be continuing to ask throughout human history. How is technology changing how we might live? Um, And giving us uh, a bit of control to, to make decisions if we're willing to live differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those very big, you know, broad questions, the ones that are really fascinating and, and beautiful to me, but very narrow questions can be too, you know, and somebody's doing a, a PhD, uh, dissertation on the most narrow thing in the world, you know, this particular species of grass changes depending on how much sunlight it gets in the day. That can be beautiful because it's a search for truth, right? It's, it's very narrow, very different than my big broad question of the world. Uh, but it's a search for truth, and so the outcome of either of these questions resonate with one's values. That narrow question, the search for truth, might resonate with a PhD candidate who loves the environment, let's say in this example of the grass, and loves the truth, and they might search for truth through hundreds of hypotheses and dozens of studies. Um, and so, either way, I think beautiful questions lead to beautiful things. And even if they don't, the process can be beautiful as well. Right? We talk about uncomfortable discomfort. You know, getting close to that, being more comfortable with that, and I think if you put yourself in that position by not knowing the answer to something, that in and of itself is valuable, no matter what the outcome is, because it's going to open you up to more questions, seeking new answers, and that's where I talked a little bit about that blog post. That's the birth of creation of creating anything. Then it's that over and over that draft, draft, draft. Ask another question. Ask another question over and over again. Process that that's in there, but that's that's some of my thoughts on on beautiful questions and why all questions can be beautiful.
0: I like that because it, it keeps it fairly top line but also brings it to life, I think. So I'll, I'll link in the show notes some uh, some resources to beautiful questions because I think it's just it's just a really interesting way to be in the world because you know we spend so much time focusing on what do you do what are you doing what are you producing. That we have lost a lot of that the beauty of sitting in the question. The question itself, and right now we're in such an interesting change in history (laughs) and society, in our climate that it's really easy to freak out and rush to the doing. And I think now more than ever, it's really important to actually to be in question and 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 value the process of pondering that. So, are there any beautiful questions you're currently sitting with in your life, or that you think are important for? for others to sit with right now. I just went macro on you big. <laughs> um
1: there there are there's been uh, I actually have a list of my 100 favorite questions and I've had it for about 10 years and I've updated it all the time and I hear a good question um if I'm reading and something makes me ask a, a question that I find beautiful I'll, I'll jot that down in my list um and One question that I've been kind of using as a social experiment over the last 10 or so years that I've asked, you know, hundreds of people um, it's what is your dream underachiever job? Within it is a very serious conversation that you need to have with yourself. Um, it, It, you know, first it makes you think, you know, some of the answers I've heard of oh, I'd love to live on a beach in Costa Rica and uh, work at a bar, but sell weed out of the back of the bar, right? How fun is that? Like, great. You know, you're bartending it front, you know, selling a little bit of cannabis out the back of a bar coaster because that's, that's hilarious. I'm good. Um, my answer, um, is to be a garbage man. Uh, my dream underachiever job is to be a garbage man in the U S you know, they ride around on the back of those trucks, they hop off for five to 10 seconds. They pick up your garbage can, they dump it, they throw it back inside the street. Sometimes they wave as they drive by if you're outside and they go on. Um, And and so what's interesting about this search for an answer uh, for this particular question is you peel back any ambition you have in the world and you kind of look at ambition. You say, this is a value set that society has given me. This is what I've made a lot of decisions in life around, to be ambitious, to be successful. What happens when I peel that back? You know, what do I, what do I like to do? Who am I? Um, And the thing about a garbage man, I should say garbage person, uh, the thing about a garbage person is they contribute a lot to society. There's studies shown in Italy where they're unionized uh, garbage workers. And when they go on strike, disease increases, communicable diseases increases because of the spread of things out in the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sanitation is a massive problem, you know, worldwide, especially in developing countries, but we see it creep very quickly. And so if you look at this functionally as a sociologist, you could make a functional argument that a garbage person is as important to society as maybe a medical care worker, you know, health care provider. They play a role that is just as important. And so it begins to show other things to me that I like to contribute to society, that I like to be outdoors, that I like some independence. I mean, it's fairly independent. You're not being supervised. You're just running around, driving, you know, picking up trash. Um, you know, I like my work to be seen, you know, people see you on garbage day. And, and so, uh, you know, it really forces you to break down these constructs we have in society's expectations we have around ambition. And I, I do think that's important for us to be doing today. I think it's really important for people everywhere to be asking themselves, you know, why am I on this track that I'm on? You know, is it meaningful to me? Is it meaningful to society? or is it just about the accumulation of wealth or goods or material? Um, Because if you seek that answer for yourself, uh, I think you'll have more and more people who are out there solving meaningful problems in the world, uh, doing things that really inspire them, um, uh, contributing to the collective. And so I think that's why a very playful question can be a beautiful question you can have fun with it, but you can also get on your own track to contribute to the collective. And I think that's, that's, that's worth doing.
0: What struck me about that question was the language and also your answer, because underachiever could be such a triggering word. And so, you know, not politically correct in you know, progressive circles in which I circulate. And rather than getting hung up on the wording, let the triggering and the discomfort of that help you dive deeper. Cause that's exactly what you just demonstrated. It's sort of like, we're judging certain roles as like, Oh, underachievers. Cause I was like, I would like to be the lady who cleans and cooks in a co-living like the one I'm currently in in Chiapas. And then as you were talking, I was thinking, Oh yeah, it's because I want to serve people and nourish them and bring them joy and be around others in community in a beautiful place and just have a simple life with not much pressure. And I was like, Hey, <laughs> we're on to something is so here.
1: Beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
0: Just smile at people and just like interact with this steady stream of interesting people from all over the world. But it's, it's really magical. I mean, I'm just experiencing this now because I'm like, Oh my gosh, light bulb moment. So yeah. What are some guys give us another good question because now we know you are the font of good questions. What's Uh another one that you could just put out there to the collective to ponder that that might just tickle somebody today.
1: Oh my God! I, I, I'm going to follow up on on what you were saying for a minute because, uh, first, I appreciate you helping me become aware of my language, um, and and I haven't thought of the language of that question in probably a decade. Um, but but second, you know, you uh, took something that um, you know you took a a job set that could and probably is thrown upon my my dad was a hospital janitor for thirty years before he retired. Um, you know, I wasn't always proud when you'd go around in elementary school and they'd ask, what do your parents do? Um, but you, you flip that around to be one of the most beautiful things uh, to serve others. And that's what I saw my dad do, you know, really smart man. Um, but he had as much purpose as I think the doctors and other healthcare workers in the hospital, because he saw his role in serving others. He would go in Fix somebody's toilet, clean their room up, and interact with that individual who's laying on their bed, you know, mm-hmm. sickly, and he would find purpose in that. And if you're the leader of a, of a hospital, what do you want more than all the way down to your janitors, everybody finding purpose um, mm-hmm. in what they do? And, and you reminded me of that by talking about what you'd love to do and how just that service of others is such a basic tenet in our in lives.
0: Yeah but it's, I think a lot of people crave that, but maybe haven't articulated that because I mean, those roles in our society are so often they're undervalued. And so they're termed underachiever jobs because they're not paid well. I mean, my dad was a teacher for 45 years. And as a result, growing up in a family of four kids, one income, you know, we grew up pretty poor, but he bloody loved his job. He won awards for it. People would like move to a certain part of town so their their kids could all have my dad as a teacher. And you know, you could be like, oh, those, those underachiever roles, why can't you be a doctor or a lawyer? And we just, yeah, we we have things so backwards in our society of equating value with money, don't we? So I think underachiever is actually a really good trigger question because then you think, oh wait, is what we value wrong? And am I just like plowing that furrow because I'm supposed to do this thing. But actually I want to do something else that is valuable, but isn't valued. And yeah, that's what that triggered for me. Okay. Back to another beautiful question. I'm not letting you go. Love that.
1: Back to another beautiful question. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Um, a question that I like to ask when I'm feeling, um, a little unsettled, you know, when I'm, you know, maybe overwhelmed, um, if there are decisions I need to make personally, professionally, um, and there's beauty and so much beauty and simplicity. Um, it's what's important to me. Just to ask that question, sit with what's important to me. Um, what's important to me right now is a take on it, depending on where you find yourself. Um, but I think that forces you into a moment of solitude uh, whether it is a very small decision or something going to have ramifications for years or decades or in other lives, um, is n- no wrong time than to ask yourself in the present of what's important to me than to get in touch with that, that voice. I've been, you know, especially with how much changes is, is in the world today. And um, you know, whether we're talking the last two years or, or, you know, our adult lives, um, you know, and, and right now I'm going through some major changes, you know, with unsettled this this organization, this company I co-founded. Uh, we're at the beginning stages of a merger. Um oh, wow. and I was beginning about a year ago to look for an exit. I've been doing this for almost a decade. Um, and it can be hard, you know, as an entrepreneur to find ways out. And I don't mean an exit like I'm getting rich. I mean the ability to go out and to contribute in other ways. I'm not getting rich off of any exit in unsettled. I've lost more money in this, you know that's not what this is about than, than I've earned
0: As an entrepreneur
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the worst entrepreneur ever, uh, but the very common, the most likely path of an entrepreneur when you look at the data yeah. Um, yeah. and and so when all this is changing, a lot of my friends have asked me, and you know my mentors, well, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do I want to do, and so I've had to sit down and say, you know what's you know, what's important to me at that time. So I'd, I'd encourage anybody to ask that on a regular basis or in the seminal moments in life.
0: Mm. So are you still living that question or has the way started to open up of what comes next for you? This is really interesting. I'm like, "Mm, there's some juice here. Let's keep going because that's big. And it's like anybody thinking about leaving their job or a career or a salary or a certain level of salary. Like, Really matters to you and what's
1: next? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that I've started down a path, and that's that's the important thing, right? Questions lead somewhere, and you're literally leading you somewhere. And I've been led down this path by asking these questions, and I've begun to uh, write down what's important to me on that path. I've begun to share that with people um, who care about me, um, and that's had um, you know, that's come from introspection and realizing uh, in, in a professional sense of how I like to work when I'm good at working, what collaboration looks like for me, having the pace at which I like to work because, you know, there's such a fast pace to, you know, most, most work today. Um, and, and it's really led me to articulate answers to those questions that are a subset of what's important to me. The pace of work is very important to me. Because I'm going to excel when I have time and space to problem solve. Now, if I'm on back to back calls over and over and over again for eight hours a day, I'm not going to be a good worker. I'm going to get laid off. I'm going to get fired. My performance is going to be bad. Um, And so I've made that very clear that I go out and I share that with people. And I think one thing I've certainly learned it unsettled, right? And unsettled, we we take people on these trips who can work remotely. About 50% of the people go with us, work for themselves. And so I've been witness to thousands and thousands of jobs and careers that I never knew existed. And, and, and so it's, it's allowed me to answer what's important to me, you know, side by side, some other questions, you know, we were just going through what am I good at, you know, the pace of work and put it out there. And there's all types of jobs that I would have never thought of that I might be willing to go and do. Yeah. Um, that that are now there in front of me, and and I'm considering and, and things of that nature. So again, questions open me up a very uncomfortable process. I mean, a, a job search asking yourself what's next it's it's you know it's something nearly everybody who goes through. We can probably say with confidence everybody who listens this podcast goes through at one point or another, um, and it it can be a process with frankly a lot of I think shame in it. You know, when you're a job seeker. Um, you know, just a lot of discomfort in in asking yourself, what are your skills and having to, you know, really present yourself. Um, but asked in the right way, I think you can find beautiful answers in that in that search and open your perspective
0: up. Mm. I was having, well, we're recording this in early April 2023. And this morning I had a session with a personal accelerator I've started. And it's a small group, and I'm, I'm piloting it. So It's a very open sharing group and everyone is there because they're seeking to better align who they are and what what matters to them right now with what they do in the world without stopping doing what they're doing. They just want to do it in a different way and feel free to bring their full selves to that. And yeah, we were talking about ways of working this morning. And I think that's such an important thing to actually get clear for yourself It's like what actually works for you. And there might be possibility within the role you're doing to like, Slow down the pace, slow down the emails, or whatever. But it's really important in the midst of what you're doing, especially if you're busy, to stop and be like, "What actually is important to me?" And that's that's a really beautiful, simple and mind-blowingly complex question. Also, I want to talk about unsettled because, I mean, this is why I found you, and I was like, oh, "Unsettled is awesome," and you're talking about like it helping you come across people with jobs you never heard of. Last night at this co-living in Chiapas, Mexico, I met a guy. Who And he specializes in graphics for elections. And I was like, that's a job. (laughs) And he was saying, yeah, I love traveling because you meet people with jobs you've never heard of. And it just blows up your imagination. So it's sort of like, that's the beauty of asking these questions. Because then the answers present themselves in whatever timing and style. But if you put the question out there, then you start to do things like meet people with jobs you've never heard of. And you're like, that is a, a cool job. So let's talk about Unsettled. Because... Your manifesto is bloody awesome. And then I, I just, let's just talk about it and what you've seen unfold for others, what the impact has been on, you know, community and, and people who've participated. So I'll read the manifesto. It's awesome. So here we go. You've worked hard. You did everything you were told. Checked the boxes one by one as your years went by. You finished college, made great friends, started a career for yourself. Sure, there were some bumps in the road, but whatever. In the end, you did it. You got an apartment, lived the city life, took your two weeks of vacation a year. You learned how to survive, no, thrive on your own. And then it all seemed to slow down. At some point, you couldn't help but wonder, is this it? You have this undeniable feeling that there's something more, something different. You look at all the things you've collected and they suddenly seem less relevant to who you are or what's important. They're just things. You've realized fear is an illusion, that the unknown is far more interesting than the known, that community is the strongest form of currency, and your net worth is not what you own. It's who you share it with. You know who you are, and you know what you seek. Life's a process. There's no destination, and it's the constant journey of growth and discovery that keeps us venturing on. Don't fear the unknown. Embrace it. Welcome to Unsettled. How awesome is that, people? <laughs> it doesn't make you just want to be like, "What's their website? What do I need to do? What is this thing?" So, what is this thing called Unsettled? What has it has it become over the years?
1: Oh man, I mean that that is Unsettled. Unsettled is truly not uh, a travel company. We're you know we're, we're more than that. We've done so much more than that. Um, you know we've um, We've, we've advised companies on how to create cultures around questions um, because they're engaging. Um, you know We've ran something we call a lifestyle incubator that takes that essential manifesto, that way of looking at the world um, and really distills it into a curriculum um, over the course of 30 days um, to help you answer the question, what's next for me? And in one quick example of how we do that in a virtual, you know, seminar around a lifestyle, um, you know, that that manifesto talks about, is this it, right? It's like you are working, you know, you go to college, you get the job, you check the boxes, you're, you're doing the things society tells you to do that culture is telling you to do that friends and family, you know, are, are out there telling you, to do. And it, inevitably you arrive at this point of like, okay, you know, is this it? Um, and, and those are expectations, you know, that others have have put on us. And and so we run, you know, this, the session in that lifestyle incubator where we help you dissect the expectations that others have put on you, uh, that culture puts on us every day, no matter who you are, culture is saying something about you. Um, you know, and it's, it's, telling you to conform this way or it's telling you you're not good enough in these ways. Um, and, and then once we're aware of those expectations, what we do in this workshop is we help you think about your true north. You know, what is your true north? If nothing's pulling you off course, what's true to you, what's your true direction directions more important than pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I think of unsettled as a philosophy. That's how we've applied it to, you know, to something that has nothing to do with travel. Uh, we're known for our travel, you know, if I look at our you know our p and l's and our finances, yeah, ninety percent of our revenue comes from travel um but it's a philosophy and approach to living and and I think that's what you see there it's a process, life is a process, you know it's ever unfolding um and and as a process, you don't know what's coming next, so you might as well embrace the unknown um and we've taken that philosophy to stone and how we create travel experiences, you know most travel companies, you know, tour operators would be the, you know, the jargon inside the industry. Um, you know, want to effectively hold a customer's hand from sunrise to bedtime for however long that trip is. We do the exact opposite. You know, we give you enough to be comfortable to know, okay, these are my basic needs to be met. I got this you know, apartment, I got this place to be able to work. Um, but when you get there, you know, we're not picking up on a mercedes Sprinter van. You know it's like here's a motorbike can you drive it or do you need to hail a motorbike taxi because you're in southeast asia um because this is how you live you know in these locations yeah we're going to help you do it. okay you're uncomfortable great let's sit with you until you're willing to get on the back of this man's motorbike actually we'll call somebody we know um you know so on and so forth but you're still going to ride this motorbike to get to that place you want to go to um and, and so we take this philosophy of it's a process you have to embrace the and you have to be uncomfortable, and we've turned it into uh a way to operate a travel company and frankly, there's a much higher risk, so the insurance companies don't like us, you know the liability lawyers look at this and don't love it <laughs> um but there's a target audience you know, and in business terms, a group of people who want to travel with community, but they don't want to be treated like there's you know somebody with a flag that you're following around the you know. National Mall in Washington, DC. They want that risk. You know, they want to be out there in the wild. They want to feel like they're traveling on their own as an individual, but they also want to meet people along the way. Um, And so that's where we've turned this unsettled philosophy, right? It kind of comes down to this question that we, we ask ourselves. And I've asked it myself a lot of what in my life is settled right now and what's unsettled? Um, And there's always something in my life that's very settled. Okay. I know the answer to that. Great. I'm in a stable relationship. That part of my life is settled. What's unsettled in my life. Well, business is up into the air. I got to figure out I'm doing nothing right now. I'm not focused. I'm not feeling a sense of purpose. Um, So let me focus on those things. And many times in my life, too much has been unsettled or the opposite. Too much has been settled. And somebody needs to help me unsettle that. So I get out of that routine. I think differently and and so on and so forth. So it's
0: people uh, like talk about two out of three. So there's like, Relationships, home, and work, and you need to have two of those settled, and one is always going to be unsettled. So just kind of choose which two you can yep. tolerate. But yeah, if it's more than one, it, it's usually like whoa, too much. Yeah, all right. I so
1: completely agree with that. Yeah. yeah, That when you asked that your opening question, you know, an uncomfortable moment that I've learned from that shaped my life. Um, I thought of about a, a year ago. I was at you know the lowest point, unquestionably of my life. You know, I was really questioning the value of my life. And all three of those things that you just said were completely unsettled in, in, in ways that me. my identity was really wrapped up, you know, in this work thing that I created unsettled, it was, you know, going through the pandemic, it wasn't doing well. There's a lot of pressure from that. My identity was wrapped up in this relationship that I'd been in. Uh, my home was unsettled, you know, I wasn't sure where I lived, um, which, you know, a lot of times space and places is wrapped up with who we are. It doesn't have to be, but it is. You know, where are you from? You know, how often do we get that? How much can we break down that question? Um, and it, 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 it just pulled out meaning for my life. You know, I need meaning to, to stay healthy mentally. And, um, so yeah, I think that's, you know, an important piece of sage that you had there.
0: Mm-hmm. I also like that your approach reminds me of like, it's like the Montessori school approach to travel where you're like, we're just going to, we're going to build some guardrails so you can't just, you know, fall off the edge of the cliff, but we're just going to throw you in it and empower you to figure it out yourselves. And I imagine there's a certain type of person who really loves that because it, it means nothing is scary. If you're like, you don't know how to ride a motorcycle. Okay. We're going to show you. And then you're just going to do it. That's how I learned to ride a scooter in India. People were like, here you go. And your friend's going to be your passenger. Cool. It's harder to steer with a passenger. Off you go. And there I was, you know, an hour in the road two minutes after learning to drive a scooter, but now I know how to drive a scooter. So what's the impact been? Actually, no, wait. Before we move on to that, I think it's it's worth observing that moment that you raised about everything being unsettled and where you are now. Because like I had a similar, similar experience. Last autumn, I within the same week, injured myself to the point where I was on crutches broke up with my partner. We're now back together. We needed to change some things. And then my apartment got broken into, uh, the same week, literally in the same week in September, but then my work was going well. (laughs) So it needed, like, it shook so much. It shook the foundations, but because I was in a place of being really, really okay with being who I am, um, things settled down. It was like, okay, it's time to leave Barcelona. My apartment, is helping me leave my comfort zone where have you found you landed after that massive crisis yeah. you know everything's up in the air what, yeah. what has that shaped since then because a year is a long time and also not a long time right yeah yeah,
1: yeah um yeah i appreciate that question um you know i am so thankful i went through that that moment that real personal crisis, really low point, again, questioning the value of of my life. And I mean that literally. Um, and it has reminded me that everything's going to be okay in the end. Um, you know, it reminds me that, you know, it's one of these uncomfortable moments, um, you know, where, you know, as long as you get through it, Um, you know, from that point on, I think, you know, I'm much more resilient and, um, grateful for just the essence of life. Um, you know, I, I I can casually suffer from, uh, anticipatory anxiety. Um, I I think that's a technical term. I asked my my girlfriend's a psychiatrist and I asked her about that. And, you know, I, I just, Like you started this call, you know, a few breaths can go so far and just grounding yourself. And so I think, you know, I've been able to look at it and and really be like, literally everything's going to be okay in the end. You know, if I made it through that, you know, it's everything else is going to be just, just a joyride from here. And I think that's one of those things that putting yourself in, you know, uncomfortable situations can, um, can do. And I was having to make a big decision recently with Unsettled. Um, you know, just the last couple of weeks and, um, I realized at one point there were probably about a dozen serious stakeholders around, um, and probably about four or five dozens of 40, 50, 60 people who had, um, some, who, who needed to, who knew it was important that whatever I decided was important. Um, It was really important to them, people who've invested on people who have worked here, you know, shareholders, you know, customers in in the future, right? Just 40, 50, hundreds of people otherwise. But I I realized at this point, no matter what I decided to do, every other person was going to go along with it. Um, You know, I've I've been around, I'm the co-founder. So there's one, there's two, you know, two of us, there's one other co-founder. I've been around, you know, the longest. I've stuck through it in, in the pandemic. Um, and I realized whatever I decided to do, everybody was going to go along with, including this other company who we were going to merge with, you know, basically I could get what I want. That was so much pressure. Um, and it it, it began, the pressure began to make me feel like I felt last year at that really down point. And I eventually had to say, you know what, no matter what I decide, it's going to be the same. It's going to be fine. You know, whether I decide to go through this merger, whether I decide to shut things down, whether I decide to quit, whether, you know, no matter what I decide, it's all going to be okay. So just make the decision and go for it, you know? Um, and that's a direct result of having gone through that moment last summer.
0: Wow. That's big. And also to just be like that process, now I see it set me up for something that I was going to need, you know, sort of like life handing you the tools before you even know you need knew you needed them and you're just like I'd really rather not <laughs> but yeah I really think we're on our paths you can't avoid it and it's always in your best interest if you have that perspective so then in our final home stretch here back to unsettled and just a you know how have you seen that what's like the, the glossy case studies you know what I mean how have how has it changed people? How has it helped people to discover who they are and discover their power or whatever, however you want to take that.
1: Yeah. Um, I've I've been lucky to ask people uh, this question. Um, Usually in conversational format, meaning I get kind of qualitative answers. We've, we've probably quantified it a few times. Um, And it's, it's through high quality connections is is what I've heard has gone on to change people's lives. Um, connections, um, primarily through people that they wouldn't have otherwise interacted with in their normal lives. You could call that a bubble. You could call that your circles, you know, your culture, um, you know, whatever you may call it. And so we, we've, our success has come about from introducing people to people who are different than them, you know, who are unlike them in many ways but there's a foundation enough uh, in how we run our programs so that there's um, safety within that difference, um, so that there's comfort within that discomfort. And so I've had you know, a lot of people you know, tell me that uh, when they you know, came across somebody from completely different income backgrounds, um, you know, completely different classes, completely different cultures, you know, languages, and they're sitting around you know, sharing a laugh, um, you know, those have been the impactful moments. Um, you know, we've, we've quantified it some, um, we have close to a dozen marriages that have come out of unsettled, wow. uh, a few dozen yeah, relationships, at least two children, um, 20 to 25 businesses that we can count, um, seven to 10 social enterprises, nonprofits, um, hundreds of people have gotten work um, you know, through, through the network, through the trips that they've gone on. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think people have just come back to me and say, what you do is important and it needs to exist in the world. You know, my life would be, you know, different without it. And, um, when people go on several trips, what I've observed, because it's not just ordinary travel. Um, you know, we, we only choose trips to go on where we think we can have, you know, substantial impact on, on somebody's lives. And so it's, it's one of these seminal moments in, in somebody's life, such as, you know, finishing high school, finishing college, going to college, you know, meeting a partner, you're going to spend a you know large part of your life with, uh, retiring, you know, a lot of people in, in the words that they've described it as a transformational event in my life. Uh, things were different before things were different after. Um, another data point that we have is I think it's 70% of people uh, quit a job within 18 months of unsettled experience, um, intentionally quit that job. And so they, they go on you know, these experiences. And as a result, I would like to think, uh, decide to change their career path in, in their life. Um, and, and I think that's the result of from that perspective we talked about today of realizing there are ways of working out there that we didn't even know about. You know, and, and that's the question that we really started on settled with and that you started with today and, you know, in reading one of my blog posts and it's how can you live differently? Well, interact with people, you know, tap into the collective and you'll find an answer that fits your values and your trajectory and what you want.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. And I'm thinking back to what you said about direction is more important than pace, because I think we got we get so caught up in the pace that we just don't even question the direction and you can run really fast in the wrong direction, or you can run really fast off a cliff. or into a wall, but I love knowing that that is the impact of kind of simply being in a space where you're being and you're not there to do, you're just there to kind of be and experiment and see what comes up. And you don't have to go on an unsettled trip. You don't have to take time off and go on a sailing trip to to give yourself space for that, I think is what I also want listeners to think. This isn't, you don't have to sign up for a trip. You don't have to have a bunch of money. How can you create space to just be unsettled and be with that process? Because even if you're busy and you have kids and a full-time job that's busy or whatever, there's always a way to create some space. And I think that that's beautiful. And also to interact with people who aren't, you know exactly like you or won't just have the same perspective it's uncomfortable like diversity is deeply uncomfortable because true diversity means you're always rubbing up against people who don't have the same perspective or lived experience or needs or yeah it's going to create discomfort but it is ultimately really enriching to everyone hopefully so then circling toward the end here because i don't want to keep you too long but really interested in your perspective and expertise and just where do you think we're headed collectively and how we live and work? And I know that's a huge question. Just, mm. you know, off the top of your head, go for mm. it, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Kind of an unfair um, question.
1: No, it's, 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 it's good. It's something that that needs to be talked about. Um, you know, there, um, there's sides of me that worry and there are sides of me that are, that are optimistic. Uh, when you were talking about, you know, really thinking about diversity just now, and now it is uncomfortable. It, it, it made me think of a, a side of me that is worried. And, um, you know, a quick data point that even as, uh, and this is a data point in the U.S., um, you know, I, th- I think it's been applied to many other places, but even as we value diversity more, we're actually moving, right? How we live, moving to places where we're living with people more like us than we ever have before. And so you can study that question. Your friend who creates election graphics has studied that question or has created graphics for people who do, because every, you know, two years, four years election cycles, you can look how did people vote in this area? And over the last 50 years, people have been more and more likely to move into these bubbles where people vote like them, right? Their ideologies, their values are the same. And I think that's very worrisome because we're creating, I think it's an urban rural divide um, around the world that is, you know, is is Two paradoxical and, you know, dichotomous ways of living, uh, that overrides a lot of the the values and and neither one is, is right or wrong, but, you know, you break down income or education. Um, you know, I think it comes there. And, but I think that moving to places where people, uh, think like you work, like you is very, very dangerous because we begin to lose perspective, whether we're talking about politics or how severe or non-severe something is like global warming or nuclear holocaust um it is just so neatly shaped by the people you're around um and and that that scares me now the optimist in me um is close to and sees us living in these communities of shared values but you know really beautiful things coming out of them so people living closer to nature, right? There's a lot of these kind of homestead communities popping up where people are saying, hey, let's live closer to agriculture. And so it's this kind of urban rural dichotomy where these people are moving out of the cities and saying, hey, I do want to live back close, you know, to nature. And so there's all these, you know, beautiful communities I can think of, you know, lots of them. There's one I'm a fan of in Costa Rica. um, And it's a permacultural community. Um, They produce, you know, you you kind of pay your HOA fees but they're producing you know, this food that you get, a basket of food every week. There is shared childcare going on. There are shared cars going on. And so a set of people in this particular community, many, many others have asked themselves, how can we live differently? You know, Instead of just accumulating wealth, as long as we're willing to bravely ask how to do it differently, I think we end up with beautiful answers. Um, and within the collective, I think is, is opportunities to to share that life, uh, those memories, and the things that make it special, whether we're talking literal assets that we need, or the bonds, or, or the love, or anything that comes along with that. So that collective community form of living and new ways of, of organizing our lives, of home ownership, I think is, is going to be something, a really large change that's almost a reaction to technology as much as it's enabled by it.
0: In what way do you think people will be less into home or more?
1: Um, I think they'll always be into home ownership, but you're seeing movements for fractional home ownership. Yeah. Um, and so maybe I'll buy my primary home, but then can I buy a tenth of this home in this community in Costa Rica? Um, and you actually own that asset, whereas timeshare was kind of that capitalistic mindset of how can we extract value from people? And this new kind of fractional ownership. It's I get my time at in this community, but I actually have ownership over that asset, which I hope is going to continue, you know, to increase in value. Um and so so that's an example of how I'm seeing, you know, ownership models um change. It'll always be there. Um and, and when you begin to do that, you know, you, you can actually um, you know, if you're middle class, you know, you know, we go through these roller coasters of home ownership where people, you know, homes get expensive, they're expensive right now, uh, as expensive as they've been in, in decades, you know, with interest rates. Um, and so can you have a fractional owner come in on your home um, and decrease, you know, your your costs in that home? What might that do for you? Instead of just going out to rent, instead of just, you know, moving on, and, and that's, I think, a very working and middle class problem where it's solving, you know, an economic social problem as much as anything. Um, and in technology, you know, there's, you know, in, in, when you buy homes at scale, which a lot of large private equity groups are doing, they're able to build technology. And as soon as a home gets on the market, their technology item has it way faster than a humans able to be able to run algorithms on that house. And they're able to say, is this worth, you know, our numbers or not? They have the capital deployed to it. And so these, you know, these technology, we really have to be careful over just how we're investing, you know, technology and, and seeing it run in something like home ownership. So. Uh, if it's collective, if it's people driven, if it's human driven, um, human design oriented, like some of these communities are, I think, I think that's a beautiful alternative to domination.
0: Yeah. And I think it's easy to get sucked into the fear because recent headlines have been about how, you know, the big dudes and big tech are really worried about AI. And of course you could just descend into like, oh my God, fear, but actually remember at the end of the day, We are human beings and whatever happens with tech, we're still going to find ways to connect with each other if we want to. So just focus on, you know, everyone you think you disagree with is still a human being at the end of the day and somebody you might value being in community with because they see things differently. They have different skills. They have a different approach to life. Yeah, because I'm sort of on that trajectory to that whole, you know, exiting cities, having some land, not even necessarily having to own it. But making it a place where like people can be and be hosting. But yeah, things are changing rapidly. And when you travel, you find that out. There are a whole lot of people out there who actually share this value and this trajectory, even though they're from different places. They think differently about other things.
1: Your your example of, you know, AI and fear, it's so, so accurate. And it really illustrates that. Fear is real. If you begin to believe, you know that AI is going to change everything and your daily lives, your jobs is going to be disrupted. Then you'll walk around, and that's your worldview that you then believe and you operate in that as a fact. So then you behave differently, and what's that's a truth, right? That's if you accept yeah. it to be true, it's it's the results are true, and you're living differently because of it. But if you could take this, another person who's decided not to read the headlines. They might, they might be very studious. They might read all types of literature, but they just don't read the headlines. Steady course. They don't have that fear, that anxiety, right? Same job. These two people might work together. I've seen it happen. I saw in my dad's work among these, you know, working class janitors. Um, one was just driven by that fear and, and one wasn't. So I think, um, you know, and I get caught up in it sometimes I'm reading all this AI stuff like everybody else too, but I tell myself, like I learned last year, everything's going to be okay. Whether I never use the next AI bot or I obsess over it, it's going to be okay.
0: Yeah, I think the best decision I ever made was early 2018 when I realized I didn't want to get out of bed because I was reading the headlines every day. And I was like, I need to take a diet from doom. I stopped reading the news. I have created a completely different reality for myself and a different consciousness for myself. You know, I'm not afraid of police robots and dystopian oppressive state. I'm like, no, I live in this magical world where when I need something, I'm like, mm, I need that universe, take care of it. And boom, there it is. And I'm talking about like somebody giving me a house and, you know, I'm just like, you know what? I need a car to go with that house. Please just send it. Mm-hmm. How is not my problem. So I live in this, you know, people might be like, oh, that's so unrealistic. I'm like, no, it's my reality. Don't tell me it's unrealistic because this is the life I'm living. Yeah. And it's really choosing your trajectory, choosing what you allow to be your influences and how you approach what your perspective is on the world. So if you find yourself trapped in doom or fear, know that you can, you can let that go. You can carry your influences. You can surround yourself with people who will support you in seeing the world. In a much brighter way, and then creating that world for yourself, because it really is true—we do create our own reality. Okay, I so <laughs> I don't want to like. Yeah, I was like, you can't feed yourself poison every day and not no. if, you expect to be impacted. So I stopped the feed of poison, and my life has been so much better ever since. It felt irresponsible at first, but I can tell you right now, it was the best thing I've ever done for myself. Wow. So yeah. So how about let's just leave. leave the final question: With what's one thing you want to leave people with?
1: Um, I'll say um, my little philosophy that I'm reminded of in this conversation, um, and I, I ask this, uh, I state this, I should say, at, at the end of really bad days, and uh, often on a beautiful day as well. Um, typically, I like to do it at sunset, right? It goes with my rhythms of work. You know, I'm kind of wrapping up work. Um, it goes great with a good view uh, to look out into, you know, the abyss, um, you know, the sunset and, and see what you see, whether it's you know, nature or yourself. Um, and I like to say, despite everything, today was a great day. And what I love about that phrase Mm. is, despite everything, pause, right, comma, despite everything that you're recognizing what wasn't good. You know, you're saying there's a whole lot in my life today and every day that is, you know, not necessarily great discomfort, you know, um, comma, today was a great day. It's saying I have choice and agency to see today as a great day, despite what wasn't good. And I usually say that like we started today with a couple of simple breaths, looking at the beauty. And I've said that on days where I wasn't sure if I was going to wake up the next day. And uh, I found the beauty of being alive. So despite everything, today was a great day. And thanks for uh, contributing it to that, Betsy.
0: Thank you. So I'm just going to leave it with that. Say First of all, thank you so much for your time and for being here and for being so so open so present because that really makes these conversations so juicy and i'm sure somebody listening or a lot of people listening have gotten some or a lot of things from this so i'm just gonna say and leave it hanging to anyone listening just say that to yourself at the end of the day despite everything today was a great day thanks for getting uncomfortable with me if you enjoyed this episode Follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave me a five star and written review and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them they are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast and for those who inspire me through their writing their conversation and their support so that's all from me for now follow me on instagram at the betsy reed if you want to get to know me a bit better some of my thoughts and in the meantime stay uncomfortable